That's right. We got a Saturday bonus show. Trevor Sikama is here to talk Florida Gators and Ricky Pearsall in the NFL. We're going to talk about that here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Lockdown Gators, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. Happy Saturday. I'm Brandon Olson. Find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. And if you were part of the Lockdown Gators subtext group, you got this interview yesterday evening. Um, and if you aren't, or yesterday afternoon, and if you aren't, you're getting it today, but if you want to join the subtext group, the link's in the description below. It's joinsubtext.com slash Gators. And now, without further ado, Trevor Sycamore. Joining me now for Locked On Gators is Trevor Sycamore, the lead NFL draft analyst for PFF, co-host of the NFL Stock Exchange, and, of course, Florida alumni. How you doing, Trevor? I'm doing fantastic, Brandon. I appreciate you having me back on the show, my friend. Oh, and anytime. Um, I'm I'm gonna start with with the biggest question I think we have to ask. Everybody who's a Florida fan, do you think Billy Napier's the guy? <laughs> Loaded question right off the top. Um I really like Napier. I do. I, I, I like the things that he has said since he's taken the job. Like I understand that there have been some shortcomings and some failures, but I really do think that this is somebody who either goes about things the right way or wants to go about things the right way and is kind of going the right direction to get there. Now, unfortunately, you know, this covering college football, it's an impatient world. Like whether you're at Florida, whether you're at Bama, whether you're at a group of five school, like whatever it is, obviously the higher you go up the food chain, the more impatient that you get. I think Florida fans and Florida boosters at this point are wanting a legitimate winner because it's been a while since, we felt that way, right? You could go back to, you know, the crazy offensive year. What was it in 2019, 2020, whatever the Kyle Trask year where like Dan Mullen had that offense basically as like a top three offense in the country. But at the same time, it was like, all right, well, the team's not really complete enough to be a legit national championship type of contender. And so even when it's been good, it felt like it hasn't really been purposeful or meaningful you go back even further to those years with Jim McElwain where they made the SEC championship you know they won the east two years in a row you know but they play Alabama and everybody knew that they had absolutely no shot against those teams so it just feels as though man you got to go all the way back to unless I'm I'm forgetting a year you got to go all the way back to that 2012 Will Muschamp year where the defense was so good they felt like they could beat anybody, and Florida was legitimately seen as, as one of the best programs in the country, even if the offense wasn't as good as it was like in the Urban Meyer days. So all that to say, you kind of fast forward to today, it's understandable that a program as big as Florida, that spends as much money as Florida, that has as na much national prominence as Florida in the best conference in America, the fact that they haven't been a legitimate contender in a while starts to compile impatience and wanting to feel that way. And it kind of sucks because I feel like they have 
the caliber of a coach that can take them there. He just didn't hit the ground running as fast as he needed to. And, and I'm worried because if he's going into this 2024 season and the thought process is you better win or you're out. Dude, they have the hardest schedule in college football next year. And you look at the roster and like they're not quite there yet. They're really not. I feel like there's a legitimate argument that they could be one year away from the beginning of something special. Certainly if uh, with, with how Graham Mertz has played this past year, you figure if he plays just as good, maybe even a little better next year, like maybe they end up getting a couple of wins we didn't expect from him, even with a tough schedule. You're then handing things off to a super talented quarterback in Lagway. And it's like, man, you can see the vision. They're setting things up. The rest of the roster is kind of getting there. But is it going to be all for naught? Because if he doesn't win, you know, if he doesn't win eight or nine games, they're going to fire him next year. Because if so, that sucks. Maybe you lose all the recruits. Maybe you start over. Maybe it's a totally different process. And hey, maybe that is the right decision in the end. But it's hard for me to kind of listen to the way that Napier talks about building a program and the things that he prioritizes and not want to believe in it. Like the, he he was slow to hire coaches. Maybe, you know, he should have made decisions a little bit sooner. But he is somebody who, even knowing that he probably should have made changes quicker with the coaching staff over the last couple of years, the reason why he doesn't doesn't seem to come from an ego standpoint. It seems to come from a guy who is truly trusting the process, right? Making a decision and then letting it play out. And it's hard for me to fight too much on that. You know, if it was egotistical, like if he was, if he was keeping guys just because he's like, no, 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 I'm not swallowing my pride here. That's a different story. But I don't think it's totally that because of everything of how he talks about building, uh, like I said, building a program, how he goes about his process, all that good stuff. So um, ultimately, like it, it's a lot of words to answer that question, but it's obviously a complex question at this point in time. I like Napier. I really do. I hope it works out for him. I think that he has the opportunity to be a really great head coach at Florida, but it all just depends on what it looks like this upcoming year. Because even if they look like they're barely taking a step in the right direction, but it's still a step in the right direction with the schedule that is in front of them next year, to me, that signals, all right, you got the right guy. Give him at least another year. Give him another recruiting class. Let's see what he can do. And especially... Look, especially with Nick Saban out at Alabama now, you could sit here and go, oh, all those recruits are just going to go to Georgia. All the recruits are already going to Georgia. So there's only so, there's still only so, so many scholarships they can give away. And Georgia's basically as good as they could possibly get. So with Nick Saban now out at Alabama, massive balance of power shift, I think, throughout the SEC. There's going to be a lot of power that's up for grabs now that Saban's gone. And it's people will say, like, oh, it's just going to go right to Georgia again. Georgia's already got it. Like Georgia already has their power. So instead it's going to go to other schools and Florida does have the opportunity to kind of seize some of that power. So it's going to make for an interesting year and a pivotal year for him, but uh, I'm still excited to see what he is going to do. I really am. Yeah. Um, I think with Alabama, like, Oh, all the players are going to Georgia thing. It's like, they already have the best players. Right. So right. It, they get, they can get marginally better by adding some guys, but it's like end of the day, they, they've still got, the best players possible, but also uh, you mentioned, you know, maybe this roster is one more year away. We're in a wild time of college football where it's just, it's just chaos throughout the entire time where I feel like it's difficult to go trust the process 
because of the transfer portal. Like, mm-hmm. arguably the two best players on the entire roster in Prince Liman Miel and, and, and Trevor Etienne this year. So just how much more difficult does it make to even evaluate a coach's success when it's like a guy can leave for whatever reason they want to, whether it's they want more touches, whether it's, uh, I think Prince Lee was like, hey, look, the way that Pete Golding used Will Anderson when he was at Alabama, I'm going to be used that way at Ole Miss, and I think that'll give me a pretty good shot for the NFL. So whatever the reason is, you've you've not retained the best players on your roster. Just how hard is it to even evaluate a coach when you go, maybe you're one year away, but also your best players to jump ship at any time with just, you know, they don't even have to give a good reason. They just have to go, I felt like it. Right, and and that that is, that's extremely tough. It It, it is, because you look even around college football, like I, I follow it loosely. You know, I follow more the NFL than I do college football structurally. And so I follow it kind of loosely, but I'll see these reports of like, oh, this player hits the portal, this player hits the portal, or, you know, I'll see a tweet when I'm scrolling the timeline or whatever. And over the last month, there's a lot of players from Georgia that are in the portal. Like there's a lot of four stars from Georgia that are hitting the portal. And so this is not something like to me that is a massive sign of, well, if you have guys leaving, that's the ultimate sign of, of, oh, the program's not going in the right direction. Shoot, look at Ole Miss. They just lost their best football player. They just lost Quinshawn Judkins. Judkins was like, nah, I'm out. And it's like, well, hold on here. Judkins played for Two Ole Miss offenses that obviously like he played well for, played phenomenally that freshman year. He really came on the, the second half of this past year. But this is going to be the year for Ole Miss. Like this is this upcoming year is going to be their national championship contention year. And I think that they hit the portal really hard. They got a lot of really good football players. Obviously, grabbing Amon Mielin from Florida is going to be a big deal for them, but they got a handful of players everywhere on that team. It looked like Lane Lane Kiffin was a transfer portal, portal king. And outside of Georgia. It felt like Ole Miss was going to be that next SEC team to contend for one of those top spots in the college football playoff. And they still lost their best football player. There's there's no way that Ole Miss's NIL package for Quinshawn Junkins wasn't at least like competitive, but he got a bigger bag at Ohio State. And it's like, boom, okay, that's gone. So the crazy part is, yes. Losing Trevor Etienne, especially to a rival, sucks. Losing Princely Uman Mielin sucks. There's no doubt about it. Like, it's not a good look. You can't really spin that well. However, I don't think that's a glaring Billy Napier thing. College football right now is in a horrible place. Now, it was taking advantage of players for a long time. And I am glad that we're kind of opening up that box so that that is no longer the case. But we kind of figured that this might happen once you open things up. Is it going to, you know, totally swing in the opposite direction? And I think it has. Now, it's people use the phrase the wild, wild west. It is. There's no salary cap. There's no commitment. There's no contracts. There's no anything. And people will push back and say, like, well, hold on. Like, that's how it's been for coaches all the time. And that's true. But very clearly, with the transfer portal rules and obviously with the NIL rules, players are switching even faster than some of the coaches that are in the highest demand. So you're seeing that across the country and it's just creating this environment that the stability is terrible across the board. And so it's hard for me to say, even with losing your best player on offense and your best player on defense from Napier, it's hard for me to look at that and say, yeah, that's a big Napier thing just because it's happening everywhere. 
it, and it's happening with even some of the best programs. And you just, you don't know what to do about it at this point. You know, Kirby has, has come out and talked about it. And like you mentioned, George is basically getting whoever they want in the portal. They're getting whoever they want recruiting. And you still have Kirby Smith sitting up there saying, this is a problem. We have to get this fixed immediately. This is not the way the college football should be. So I agree, man. It's it's crazy times. And obviously it sucks that ETN and Uman Mielin are, are out the door, but it's hard for me to blame Napier too much just because that's the landscape of where college football is right now. NFL playoffs are here. NBA games are happening daily, literally daily. Uh, and guess what? We're a couple months away from hell baseball. And game time is the place if you're looking for last-minute ticket deals, whether that's any of those sporting events, whether that's a concert, whether you want to go see a show. Game time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. The game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. That's code Locked On College for $20 with Game Time. So download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Today's episode of Locked On Gators is also brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The NFL regular season is done. It is playoff time. And let me tell you, playoff football, last year was very profitable. The year before, very profitable. Big fan of it. Visit FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet, whether that bet wins or loses. $150 in bonus bets. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. And make your first bet. I'll lay up and remember that FanDuel is an official partner of the NFL. Yeah, uh, we're in a world that's crazy enough in college football where uh, Ashton Genty, the running back at Boise State, true sophomore, put out a graphic that he's returning to Boise State. And it's like, the NFL draft wasn't even an option. And he's, yeah, like, right. yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm coming back to school. And it's just like, well... Damn, the only option was to hit the portal. <laughs> um, so now we're at the point where kids are just like, I'm not leaving. I'm, that's it. I, I'm not going to the portal. I'm not jumping ship. But uh, shout, shout out to shout out to graphics teams everywhere, though. Getting a lot of getting a lot of reps in over these last couple oh, yeah. of years. Um, <laughs> Hayes Fawcett is just getting money all he wants with all the portal kids, the Florida social media team. They're just like, right. I'm leaving. I'm going. We had uh, the the fourth QB like put out a little graphic he's like i am out of eligibility so i'm going to the nfl and it's like good for you graphics team good for you just good for you uh getting that one in but uh try to yeah. try to get yeah like it's it's so funny not only is the transfer portal wide open not only is nil now a, a very powerful tool for why we're seeing so much change in college football but also the covid year does still exist it is still lingering around so you have people who are like in year six year seven of college football which as an nfl draft analyst let me tell you that is annoying as hell. Like, obviously, I'm happy for the kids. They keep they get to keep playing football. You know, they're making decisions that they think are the best decisions for them and their family. Like I get it. Obviously, I'm I'm mostly joking, but damn, these people coming back for seven years. Like to quote the Tommy Boy article, like, yeah, so there's people who are in college for seven years all the time. Yeah, they're called doctors. You know, it's like <laughs> it's not it's not regular football players. So uh man, it is it is a wild, wild era right now. Yeah, it's um Casey Thompson, I think, is now 
Yep. Texas, Nebraska, Florida Atlantic, and then yesterday committed to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And it's just like dude, seven years, four schools in seven years is something that if you told somebody in 1995 that there's going to be guys in 20 years that are playing just or 20 or 30 years. And that's like, yeah, they're going to be playing for their fourth school in their seventh year, all in college. They would think you're out of your freaking mind. And that's just the realistic part of it here. Um, but you mentioned the seventh year seniors being a thing. And as, as a draft analyst, how does that really play into it? Where, cause I, I know if you play Madden, you're just like, Oh, if you're 22 years or older, you're basically dead to me. Not to <laughs> you. Um, but in the NFL, how does it play into it where you go, this guy is 25 years old at this point as a rookie. How do you play that into the evaluation process? Whether or not they were great or not, it's just you're still getting a guy that by the time he gets to contract number two, is going to be 29 or 30. Yeah, you know, age is something that I think people bring up consistently when it comes to the NFL draft, but it's not nearly as cookie cutter as a lot of people just throw out there like, oh, he's old. There's a lot of context that has to come with age. I think the uh the idea that that age kind of started from is is that there are age production metrics which i think are very useful if you are producing at a high level at your college at a younger age at when you are a freshman or a sophomore if you are producing at a very high level that is that is objectively more valuable than someone who is 22 or 23 who has those same numbers because you're doing it at a much younger age. You're competent. You are a step up in age competition level. So age production metrics are very useful. And it was more, those metrics were more towards amplifying situations that are abnormal in a positive way, not necessarily a negative way. Now we obviously have a lot of like medical red shirts and obviously the COVID year. So now we're talking about like six, seventh year players. So now we have to go, okay, well, what do we do with guys who are 24, 25? You know, that's totally different. Well, here's where context kind of comes into it. When you're younger and you're succeeding, if you're 20 or 21 coming into the NFL draft, I think body type means a lot. Are you fully filled out in the mass of your frame? You know, are you as muscularly developed as you could be? Is there still like, wow, this kid's playing really well. And you look at him, you go, man, he's still like a skinny kid. Like we can still even put some more weight on him. He can get even stronger. He can get even faster. That's typically conversations that you could have when you look at these, you know, 20, 21 year old kids, when you project them from going from the college level to the pro level, because the pro level you're playing up against late twenties, early thirties, all pro dudes in the prime of their career. So like that, that part of it does matter. There's no question about it. And then I think positional context matters for this. If you're a quarterback, I'm going to be honest, people are having this conversation about Bo Nix and Michael Penix, right? Both of these guys, much older prospects. I think Nix is going to be what 24 and maybe Penix is going to be 24 as well. I don't know their exact birth dates, but they're going to be 24. And for example, Drake may is going to be 20. You know, so like that's, that's a, the four years, a massive age difference, especially when you think about how the rookie quarterback scale is four years with a fifth year option. So Drake may is hitting his second contract when these guys are going into the league at the same age. So it obviously matters because if you think a guy's going to be around for a long time, kind of goes into how many contracts you can get out of them. But I think that that's a little bit overblown because 
how many guys make it to like those third or fourth contracts? Like it's basically nobody. So I think that's a little bit of a pipe dream. So when it comes to quarterbacks, you can get quarterbacks that can play into their mid thirties, late thirties. We see that all the time. So the best quarterbacks in the NFL are in their mid thirties, late thirties. Uh, and so for quarterbacks to be a little bit older, I don't really care for running backs to be a little bit older. I do care because that means that you've been playing running back and you've been taking hits and you've been you know, putting miles on the tires since you were probably in middle school. So now all of a sudden, if you are a 23-year-old running back, you've been taking punishment for the last three or four years, probably as a starter in college. You're going to be 23, 24 years old. You're going to be 27, 28 by the time your second contract comes around. There's not a lot of late 20s, early 30s running backs that are still doing it at an incredible level. So all of a sudden that matters because if you are drafting a running back who is 23, 24 even, you're probably only getting one contract out of him. Whereas if you draft a running back who's 21, 20, 20 or 21 years old, you can realistically think that, okay, if they're very successful for me, we can feel good about signing them to another contract knowing that they'll be only 24 or 25 when that second contract comes around. So it will still be worth it for you. So that's really where it comes into play. It's it's more of the context that goes into age. And that loops back around into the original conversation or the question that you asked about the COVID year. The extra year of eligibility for quarterbacks, I don't really care. If you can show me that you pick it up and you understand and you can see the field really well and, and that you are a NFL level caliber quarterback, I don't really care about you being 24, 25 compared to 20 and 21. Would I rather have you be younger? Sure. But if you could play, you could play at that position. If you're a running back, it's different. You know, if you are an offensive lineman, it might be different. If you are a linebacker, again, these high physical positions, that's a little different. The COVID year, it gives them an extra year to hone in on their craft, but it's also something that then becomes a detractor every single year they delay the NFL draft and every year they get older with those more physical positions. Yeah, I think at, uh, at running back, you know, why, why bother with a second contract? Just pull the old Le'Veon Bell, potentially Saquon Barkley of just like, hey, we're going to run you into the ground for the first contract and then franchise tag, franchise tag, and then we'll, we'll figure it out outside of there. But uh, before I let you go, while we're on the subject of the NFL draft and all that, Ricky Pearsall, uh, I love him. Uh, that's, all, that's all I'm going to throw out there about him, but uh, love him. He's going to be at the Senior Bowl in a couple weeks down in Mobile, Alabama, personally. Can't wait to watch those one-on-ones. Uh, but but where do you land on Ricky as far as the NFL goes? Because we know, you know, college, he was productive with Arizona State. He was relatively productive when he came to Florida. He was very productive. Had a thousand scrimmage yards, uh, not a thousand receiving, which sucked, but is what it is. But where do you see him kind of slotting in the NFL? I, I, I like, I like Ricky a lot, and I'm not just being Florida bias. I mean, I think that he is a fantastic wide receiver. I think he's got the strength and the toughness to be able to play on the outside. Obviously, his frame, his quickness, his strengths, um, they lend itself more to being utilized as a slot receiver at the next level. But yeah, Gators fans have seen over the last couple of seasons just how reliable his hands are how good he is with his routes how well he understands the game I mean it's not just people people think like oh if he's a smaller player then he's just going to be a slot well in order for you to maximize that two-way go freedom of being in the slot all that space that you have to work with you have to be very smart too the best slot receivers are high IQ players 
And Pearsall is like, he knows how to get off press coverage. He's shown a variety of different releases when it comes to getting off the line of scrimmage. He can create that separation very, very quickly. He can obviously create separation with his footwork and his routes and all that good stuff. He's got good, he's got decent yards after catch ability and yards after catch speed. But to me, he just, he feels like that kind of player that could be a heavy volume guy for an NFL team. I think that he is a day two pick. Absolutely. Like I think he's a second to third round pick type of a player. This wide receiver class is pretty stacked. So there's going to be a lot of teams that say, well, that have the, the luxury to go, we need a wide receiver, but we need a certain type of wide receiver. So like in the second round where I think you could start having the conversation about Ricky Pearsall, if you are a team that says we need a bigger bodied guy, you know, like a Brendan Rice, a Xavier Leggett, an A.D. Mitchell, right? The, these guys are these bigger body type of players, so they might lean more towards that. But the second the conversation comes up where a team goes, hey, we need a great slot specialist, somebody who knows how to operate in space, but also gives us that flexibility to, if we want to play them on the outside, we can. Look, you're going to hear a lot of people throughout the draft process praise Lad McConkey from Georgia. I'm a big fan of his as well. And Lab McConkey is not just a slot receiver. He's somebody that Georgia played on the outside. He's got legit vertical speed. Pearsall is that same type of player. I don't think he's as precise. I don't think he's as good vertically as Lab McConkey is, but they're similar players where they're not just these slot mold guys. You can play them all throughout the field. And I think that uh, Pearsall is just a damn good football player. And the name of the game at wide receiver, getting open, catching the football. Few guys do it more reliably than he has over the last two years, and for that, I think that that spells out a a really nice NFL prospect and somebody who I think is going to go in the middle of day two. And so there, you've had it, you've heard it here. Uh, high volume, play slot, play outside. Trevor Sikama, Ricky Pearsall, CD Lamb. Um, that is <laughs> that's, that's, that's that what I said. Yes, yeah, that, that's the comp. That's, exactly <laughs> that's that's exactly where we're going. Ricky Pearsall. Is CD Lamb. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Trevor, for taking the time today. Uh, catch Trevor on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Catch him on PFF with, I mean, fantastic content over there as well. And the NFL Stock Exchange. Thanks again for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we are available daily and free release of the podcast. Thanks again to Trevor Sikama. Uh, big fan of his work. Followed him for years. So excited to get him on the show every chance we can. And of course, Florida alum. Um, but we will be back on maybe, maybe Sunday. But at the latest on Monday, we will not be going live for the game against Arkansas for the postcast. I will not be uh, in, in the state, uh, so I will not be available to go live. But we will be back on Monday at the absolute latest. For Lockdown Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with whole nine sports, Giants country, NFL 33. And I will see you all next time.